Family, let's go before the Lord together this morning and pray and ask Him to speak to us today through His Word and believe together that we receive insight and revelation into what He wants to say today. Father, we come to You this morning in the name of Jesus and we come together as a family in agreement with one another. Lord, I know we're spread out this morning and people are watching from their homes in different places, but I know in You there's no distance in the Spirit. So we ask You for Your help today and we come into agreement together as touching this thing and You said if there was two or three of us that would get together in your name, you'd be right there in the midst of us, Jesus. So we're asking for that today. And we're agreeing together concerning this word, believing that we have eyes that see, ears that hear, hearts that understand. We want eyes that see you, Lord Jesus, ears that hear your voice, the voice of our good shepherd who calls us by name and leads us out. We thank you for hearts that are wide open this morning to understand more about who we are in you and who you are in us. And we give you all the praise and the thanks for the good work that you've begun in us. We call you faithful to finish it because, Lord Jesus, you are the author and the finisher of our faith in Jesus name. Amen. If you've got your Bible with you this morning, I want you to go with me once again to the book of First Timothy, chapter three. And we will have these scriptures on the screen for you today for you to follow along as well. We've been looking together over the last several weeks uh, at some things that the Spirit of God said in the Word of God uh, concerning church and how you come to church. We're going to look at it again together today in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're in a series that I believe the Lord is calling Reverence on the Rise. Reverence on the Rise. That's what we want This church to be is a place so full of the reverence of God. And what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you one thing it means is we're not trying to see how casual we can be. We are not trying to be a mirror image of this world. And there's been a lot of pressure, I believe, on the church to mimic and look like the world. But if you think about it, people already have that. They're already living in that every single day of their lives. Why do they need some other place that looks just like what they're already living in? No, we're supposed to be different. We are supposed to be a place where somebody can walk in and breathe in faith, can breathe in love and light. Amen. And it matters the atmosphere of this church. Atmosphere matters. And one of the major things that determines the atmosphere of the place is you. You. It's not all on me. It's not all on Sarah or our staff. It's, it's a lot of it has to do with you and the way you come to church. And this series, Reverence on the Rise, is all about that connection between how you come to church and what you leave church with how you sit in church and what God's able to do for you, in you, through you, while you're there. And that's what we've been talking about together for the last number of weeks. First Timothy chapter three again, verse 14, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write, listen to this, so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Paul, Timothy's mentor and father in the faith is writing to him and he's outlining a number of things. And he says, I'm writing to you because I want you to know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. In other words, there's a right way 
to come to church. Well, if there's a right way to come to church, what else does that mean? There's a wrong way. And it has everything to do with what you and I get out of church. In the book of Acts, Chapter nine, we'll put this on the screen for you. Let me remind you there when Paul wrote to uh, Timothy in first Timothy three, he was talking to him about bishops and deacons. That's leaders, that's servers. And he talked about the way they conduct their lives and what qualified them for those positions. And over and over again, you hear from Paul that these individuals, he says, they need to be reverent. They need to be reverent. Their homes need to be reverent. Husbands, wives, and children, all of them reverent towards the things of God. And you see this in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, talking about the the book of Acts church of which you and I are still a part. Legacy Church, Green Mountain Falls, Colorado is a book of Acts church. And you see in the book of Acts that that church, man, when it started... It started growing and growing, growing miraculously, growing exponentially. And as a pastor of a new church, I'm, I'm very interested in what the Word of God has to say about how a church grows. Now, there's a lot of information in the world right now in church culture, in religious culture. If you want to grow a church, do these things, implement these programs. I'm not knocking any of it. But I am saying that I want to grow God's way. I want to grow the way he would have us grow. And in my mind, there's only one place to look for that. And that's the scriptures. How did this church grow? And in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it says the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria, notice this, had peace. That says something. Peace is supposed to define us. Peace is supposed to describe us. In a world that's completely void of it, this church should be full of it, full of the peace of God. It's another one of those things that people ought to be able to walk in the front doors of this place and breathe it in. A peaceful place, a peaceful atmosphere. And we've already had people tell us, People that have come here to work on the building, they drive up and they say, man, there's just so much peace here. That's the presence of God. And again, that's something people can't find in the world. So why would we want to emulate what they can't find? We want to be something. We want to be something that, how do you even say it, Lord? If they can't find it there, let them find it here. And that's one of the reasons anything would grow. A church, a business, whatever. Anything that would grow miraculously is evidenced and proof that people are finding something there that they can't find anywhere else. And that's what was happening in this church. This church that he said, uh, the churches throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria, they had peace. They were edified, means they were built up. That's what's happening here. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit they were multiplied. Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. The Passion Translation says, the church all over Judea, Galilee, and Samaria experienced a season of peace. The congregations grew larger and larger with believers being empowered and encouraged. Empowered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. That's what that word means when the scripture says they were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That includes the empowerment, the encouragement that comes 
by the Holy Spirit. And man, you can't find that in the world. You cannot find that out in this secular culture. You cannot find that apart from knowing God through knowing Jesus. There is peace and there is comfort and there is an empowerment and encouragement that comes only through the Holy Spirit. It says they worshiped God in wonder and awe and walked in the fear of the Lord. What I want to do today is begin as the Lord leads us to connect these things. We've talked for the last number of weeks about the fear of the Lord and what that means. There's some confusion about it. And you go back uh, the first week we began talking about this. We saw from uh, a number of places in scripture where we have to be taught the fear of the Lord. It's not something you just know. It's not something you just sort of pick up on naturally. We have to be taught it. We have to be taught what it means. We have to be taught how to do it, how to walk it out. And this scripture said they were walking in the fear of the Lord. So that says to me that it wasn't just some Sunday thing. It wasn't just a church time thing. This was every day, all day, walking in the fear of the Lord. And like we've said for the last several weeks, that fear of the Lord begins with the belief there is a God. Say it out loud with me. There is a God. Say it again. There is a God. That's where the fear of the Lord begins. You won't reverence and worship something you're not even sure exists. It starts with you acknowledging He is. But the Bible tells us uh, that anybody who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The fear of the Lord begins with acknowledging the existence of God, the bigness, the greatness of God. But today what I want us to see in Scripture is how these things, the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, aren't two separate things. The best way I know to describe it is they are two sides of the same thing. And it's what you and I as New Testament believers have access to that Old Testament believers in God didn't. They had the fear of the Lord. But because Jesus has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can have the fear of the Lord without being afraid of Him. There's a difference. We can walk in the fear of the Lord without being in terror or without being afraid of Him. We'll see more about this today as we go. Uh, look with me in, in the scriptures in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. When we began the series, like I said, we talked first of all about learning to fear the Lord. When, uh, into the next week, we talked about we looked back in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, that that, that day that uh, Moses and Aaron and the nation of Israel was having a service and God came and they made offering to the Lord and the Lord came in fire from heaven and consumed that offering. We saw everything that led up to that and practically applying the fear of the Lord. We see it in the life of Moses. How many times over and over and over through those passages of scripture where it said Moses did as the Lord commanded him. That's the fear of the Lord to treat his words like they mean something, like they're important, like they are command. And like we said several weeks ago, to, to say that Moses did as the Lord commanded him isn't necessarily a reference to the way God spoke to him. 
It didn't, doesn't necessarily mean God commanded with a loud, booming, authoritative, strong voice. To me, it's more of a reference of how he heard it. It's a reference to the way Moses heard God speak to him. And he heard God speak to him and he took it as a command. That's the fear of the Lord. And then, of course, last week in service together, we talked about how to practically, to, excuse me, practically fear the Lord is to pay attention. Pay attention to His Word. I know there's a lot of other words talking to us, a lot of other voices coming to us. But He said, my son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. And you saw it all through the book of Proverbs. Hey, pay attention. My son, pay attention. Pay attention. And the Bible promises us that God will keep us in perfect peace if we can keep our mind stayed on Him. Paying attention to Him and to His Word is the fear of the Lord. This is to reverence Him. And we left off in last week's service talking about Martha and Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha being distracted with much serving and how that word distracted means to be driven about in the mind. And Jesus said to her, Martha, you're worried. You're troubled about many things. Well, how did that worry get in? Where did that trouble get in? It got in when her mind strayed from being on Jesus. She sat at his feet and heard his word, but she had this other thought that drove her from where she was into the kitchen to start preparing a meal. And that's when worry got in. That's when trouble got in. And that's when peace left. So to maintain and keep your mind stayed on the Lord is how you preserve peace. And that is the fear of the Lord. That is to say to him, you are worthy of my attention. And where we left off was, uh, I mentioned this to you, I believe at the very end of last week's service. Let's look at it again in 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 6, it's a familiar verse to you, but it says this, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Now, verse 7, connected to it, listen to what it says. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. I don't know that we've been diligent enough to connect these two thoughts. We've heard verse 6, Humble yourself, right? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He'll exalt you in due time. We've heard verse seven, cast all your cares onto him because he cares for you. But this shouldn't come as a major shock to you. Verse seven comes right after verse six. And there's not even punctuation or an end of a sentence between them. He says, cast your, or he says, humble yourself. How do you do it? Casting your care. Casting your care is humbling yourself. Make this connection. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He'll exalt you. Okay, Lord, that sounds good. How do I do it? Cast all your care onto me, he said. Well, let me ask you this. If casting your care on him is humility, then what is carrying your care? It's pride. To carry your own care is pride. Now, what I want to do today uh, using this as our foundation, is just back up a couple of verses. Look at verse 5 with me. He's writing here and says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. 
for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now that's good news right there, that you can have the grace of God, but he doesn't just give it to anybody. He doesn't just give it to everybody who gets the grace, the humble. And who are the humble? The ones who have cast their care onto him. Now to cast your care onto him, listen, look at how closely this connects with the fear of the Lord. To the, the acknowledgement of how big and how awesome and how strong he is. To cast your care is to say, God, this thing is too much for me. Hmm? This, this worry, this care, this anxiety, it's too much for me, but it's not too much for you. You are so much bigger than this. You are so much greater. You are so much stronger. So what? Here you go. That's connected to the fear of the Lord. It's the acknowledging of how big, how awesome he is. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Turn backwards just a couple of pages with me to the book of James chapter four. And you hear some of these same words. Verse five says, do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy, uh, jealously? Verse six says, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. I want you to say that out loud right now. He gives more grace. Come on, that's the best news you've heard all day long. I guarantee it. Now, we know that the grace of God is good news. The grace that saved us, right, in and through Jesus, this grace, this free gift of salvation, that when you put faith in Him and you called on Jesus as Lord and you believed in your heart that, that God raised Him from, from the dead and you said with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord of your life, grace came to you. And that grace saved you, glory to God. And that grace made heaven your eternal home. Thank you, Lord, for that grace. But here's the good news. You ready for this? Come on, are you ready for this? He gives more grace. More than that? More than grace that saved me? More grace that saved me from hell and made heaven my home? Yes! Glory to God. More grace. Shout it out loud again. More grace. He gives more grace. There's more of that grace available to you. He says, therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So who gets the grace? The humble. Who gets more grace? The humble. How did you get the grace that saved you? Huh? It wasn't through pride. It wasn't through arrogance. As a matter of fact, it would have been pride that says, you owe me salvation. Arrogance would have said, I kept your law. I've lived a good life. I deserve some salvation. But that is not how you or me or anybody gets any grace from God. How'd you get that grace? Come on. How'd you get that grace? The grace that saved you. You humbled yourself. You literally said to him, I'm done being my own God. I'm done being my own Lord. I, I, I'm, I have been my own God up until now. And look at the mess that I've made by being my own God. Jesus, you be my Lord. What is that? That's humility. It's acknowledging 
that in him, you can't save yourself. You can't heal yourself. You can't deliver yourself. It's acknowledging his lordship. And because you humbled yourself, you got that grace. Well, how do you get more? You want some more of that grace? There's more available. He's given more of it away. How do you get it? Humility. The same way you got that first taste of grace is how you get that next taste. It's how you get that next hit and that next hit and that next hit of the grace of God. You humble yourself. God gives more grace. How do we conduct ourselves in the house of God? In humility. See, I want the grace of God on full display in this church. I want his goodness and his grace and his mercy to be seen by everybody who comes in this place. And I want the, the, the degrees of his grace to always be increasing more and more and more. How do we get it? How do we conduct ourselves in the house of God? We do it in humility. There's no room and there's no place for pride in this church. And that starts with me. That starts with Sarah. That starts with the leadership of this place. And I'm telling you, there's no room. There's no place in it for me. I don't want people coming in here and looking at me or pointing at me or pointing at Sarah and say, wow, look what you guys did. Look, you, you deserve this. Stop it right there, right there. Because if we start taking credit, if we start letting that light shine on us, that limits the grace, the measure of the grace of God that we can have in this place. But if we'll humble ourselves and always shine the big light on Jesus, and if we'll just say, look what the Lord has done, not us, what he's done, then there's no limit to the grace of God that we can have on display in this church. Let me read this to you. This series that we're in, Reverence on the Rise, it's about the connection between how we come to church and what we leave with. Um, this is the way the Lord talked to me about it recently. If you're familiar with these things, uh, on a camera, like a camera that I'm looking into right now or a camera that you'd take pictures with, that lens has what's called, I believe, an aperture. Now that aperture can be made small or it can be opened wide. The smaller that aperture is, the less amount of light that the lens is letting in. The more widely it's opened, the more light that comes in. Now, some of these same things apply to the way we conduct ourselves in church. You, you might think, well, you know, this is church and God can do whatever he wants to do. He's God. Well, we haven't been quick enough to recognize that there may be some things he wants to do, but can't. Not because he lacks the strength or the ability, but because the aperture, if you will, is too narrow. You can't fit the awesomeness of God into a tiny little space. How big and how wide is the aperture of your heart? Because the more narrow it is, the more light you keep out. But the wider it becomes, the more of God's presence can pour through the wideness of your heart. Now that has everything to do with how you come in to this place. The wider and more open we are, the more he is able to manifest, make himself known, easily seen and real 
to us. There I'm quoting to you John chapter 14, verse 21 in the Amplified Bible. This is Jesus speaking and we'll put it on the screen for you. It says, the person who has my commands and keeps them is the one who really loves me. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. When you treat the words of Jesus like commands, why would you do that? Because you love him. That is to worship and to fear the Lord. He said, the person who has my commands and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And whoever really loves me will be loved by my father. And I too will love him and will show, reveal, manifest myself to him. I like this. I will let myself be clearly seen by him and make myself real to him. See, that's what that church in the book of Acts had. They were walking every day in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That means they were walking in and with this reality of God. He was real to them. He was real to them. And because he was real to them, because their hearts were wide open to him, he was able to do things in their midst that proved himself, that showed himself, that made himself clearly seen by them. I'm talking miracles popping all over that place. That's God on display. That's God and his grace on display in the church. And that's what we want. I know many of you watching, you'd say, well, God's real to me and that's good. But my question is, can he be more real? Yeah, he can be more real to you today than he was yesterday. And tomorrow, guess what? He can be more real to you then than he was today. How do we get more of that? How do we get these increased manifestations of God in our lives? Well, we see it's connected to you and I walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And we have to work on this a little bit, our definition of God in manifestation. I know we looked at those scriptures in the book of Leviticus and when God showed up that day, I mean, there's this consuming fire that came out of heaven and and burned up the offering. I mean, that's a very spectacular manifestation of God, but we can't be guilty of thinking that anything less than fire coming out of the sky is not a manifestation of God. In other words, you can't be guilty of missing the supernatural because you were looking for the spectacular. And that happens to people all the time. They miss the moving of God. They miss the demonstrations of God because they're looking for something spectacular and loud. But God doesn't always move that way. As a matter of fact, I would actually prefer that he does not consume with fire your offering in mine. I mean, seriously, if we're passing the buckets in church and all of a sudden fire comes, well, okay, God, if that's what you want to do. But I have found that checks are harder to cash when they've been burned to a tiny pile of ashes. I mean, so we want God on display in this place, but we can't limit him to one way of showing up is what I'm trying to tell you. Listen to some of these other verses that surround this in John chapter 14. Uh, We looked at verse 21, but back up. Look at verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father. Listen to this now. And he will give you another helper. He will give you another helper. See, now we're beginning to connect walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Not two different things. 
two sides of the same thing. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 16, I'll pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. He said, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. We're talking about people being able to find something in the house of God that they can't find anywhere else. That's huge. That's key to this place growing, growing miraculously, growing exponentially. People have got to be able to find something here that they can't find in the world. And Jesus said that the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive In other words, the Holy Spirit's not on display out in the world. And you probably didn't even need me to tell you that. You see it every day. There is a total lack of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in everyday culture out there. But he said, the world can't receive it because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So what they can't find out there, let them find to a great degree in here. And what would that be? The reality of the Holy Spirit, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. He went on to say in verse 21, we read this, he who loves me will be loved by my father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. Then verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? You can see he's still thinking, in spectacular fashion. He's thinking like many of us have, you know, fire coming out of the sky. That's the manifestation of God. And if that's happening, how are we going to see that without everybody else seeing that? But see, that's how we miss the supernatural by seeking the spectacular. So Jesus explained to him and said, said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And what do he say in verse 27? Peace, peace, I leave with you, my peace I give to you. You see, peace in your life and in mine is that is a that is God on display. That is as much God as fire coming out of the sky. Now, people miss it because it's not spectacular, but it is supernatural. Let me read this to you the way I wrote it today. We looked at God manifesting himself as a consuming fire to Moses and the children of Israel as they worshiped him with their offering. That is a spectacular manifestation of his presence, but we must not be guilty of thinking that anything less than the tangible fire from heaven isn't him. God makes himself real to us in many ways that are not spectacular, but they are supernatural. When you experience an increase of his grace, You've just experienced him making himself real to you, more real to you 
than he was before. God gives grace to the humble. And when you experience that grace and then more of that grace, what you're experiencing is a greater degree of the manifestation of God in your life. Now you have to know what the grace of God is. The grace of God is so big. It's so marvelous. It's so wonderful. We talked about last week how, how the fear of the Lord just makes you stand in awe of who he is. He's awesome, right? And we laughed about how the word, just the word awesome just makes you open your mouth and kind of just leave it there. Ah, that's the fear of the Lord. When your mouth just falls open and you don't know what to say because you're looking at something so big, so great, so mighty and awesome. You just stand there. Ah, ah God, you're good. God, you are awesome. Just say it out loud. God, you are awesome. Well, the grace of God if you ever get a glimpse, if you ever get a taste of that grace, you will stand in awe of what His grace is, what His grace does for you. We won't take time to look at all the scriptures, but an increase of His grace, like the scripture said, He gives more of it. More grace in your life is more favor in your life. The grace of God is the favor of God on you. Is there anybody watching today that would raise a hand and say, yeah, I'll take a little of that. I could use some more of the favor of God in my life, favor with God, favor with men. Well, that is an increase of the grace. An increase of the grace of God means an increase of strength, an increase of strength. Paul talked about that in more than one place. He talked about how he could do all things through Christ, the anointed one and his anointing, which strengthens him. He talked about when I'm weak, the grace makes me strong. So an increase of grace is an increase of strength. An increase of, of grace is an increase of ability. Things that you couldn't do on your own or by yourself, when the grace of God comes up in you, all of a sudden you've got more ability to do things you couldn't do before. An increase of his grace is an increase of his favor, his strength, his ability. More grace is more power. You want some more power working in your life? You want some more uh, strength and ability to lay hands on the sick and see him recover? That's the power of God working in you and through you. I want that. Man, I want that turned up in this place. I want people uh, coming in who've been diagnosed and sick and diseased in their bodies encountering the grace and the power of God because it's been turned up in this place and they walk out whole. They walk out well and strong. How do we get that grace? Where do we get it? Well, he gives it to the humble. How do we conduct ourselves in church? In humility. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. With humility, more of the grace of God in our life is more of his favor. It's more of his strength. It's more of his ability, more of his power. But you could put all of those things into one word. More grace is more help. It's help. That's what the favor of God is. It's him helping you, helping you get things done you couldn't do on your own. That's what his strength is. It's help. That's what his power, that's what his ability is. All of it is help. And that's why Jesus said to us, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you a helper. Why? 
because you need help. You need help. He looked at those disciples and said, boys, you need help. You guys need some serious help. And while they're sitting there upset and weeping because he's leaving, he's going, listen, it's better for you, John 16, if I go away. Because if I don't go away, I won't send the helper. But if I go, I can give you the help that you need. Um, some translations say the comforter. The Amplified Bible talks about how he's the, the helper, the advocate, the counselor, the intercessor, the standby. It takes all these words to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But all of them can be summed up in this one word, help, helper. How do we get an increase of the grace of God? whether it's an increase of grace in, his, in your life or an increase of grace in our time together as a church and as a family. You get grace and you get more grace through humility. How does humility connect to the help of the Holy Spirit? It's so simple. It's so easy. Humility says, I need help. Humility says, I want help. See, pride, and we know that God resists the proud. Pride has a motto. You want to know what pride says? Pride says, I got this. Pride says, I can do this. I'm strong enough. I'm able enough. I'm smart enough. I'm experienced and educated enough. I got this. That's what pride says. And as long as you're saying, I got this, then you have so narrowed the aperture through which God can pour his grace through that you've just about cut it all off. He resists. In other words, he stands at a distance from those who are proud saying, no, 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 I got this. I got this. Pride says, I got this. Humility says, I need help. Humility acknowledges the need for help. Jesus said there where we've been reading John 14, 15 and 16. He said this in John 15, verse five. He said, I'm the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Listen to this. For without me, you can do nothing. Man, that's revelation right there. Without me, Jesus said, you can do how much? Nothing, nothing. And humility acknowledges that. Humility agrees with that. You want to get more grace? Hmm? You want more grace in your life? You want more grace uh, on display and being poured out in this church? Well, it matters how you come to church. I mean, you can take two people, come to the same service, hear the same songs, read the same scriptures, hear the same word, and one leave bored, and one leave changed forever. How is that possible? How does that happen? It, was all, it all had to do with the way they sat there, with the way they opened themselves to what the Lord wanted to do. If you got somebody coming to church and they sit there, they come in with this attitude, ah, you know, I, I've been born again 30 some odd years and some young kid's going to come to town and start this church. Let me just see what he has to say. And they sit there with this, I've heard that mentality. Oh yeah, I knew that. I knew that. Oh, I, I know all that. 
I, I wouldn't have said it like that. I'd say I'd do it like this. You sit there with the I've heard that, I know that mentality. It absolutely limits what God is able to do for you. But you could take somebody else sitting right next to that person. Somebody who walks in going, man, I need some help. Somebody who walks in saying, I need help. I want help. And they come in saying, the word of God is my help. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And before a song is ever sung, before a word is ever preached, they're sitting there with the mentality of this, that, that says this, I'm getting my answer today. With this expectation to receive help. That's how one person leaves bored and one person leaves changed is because one is pride and the other is humility. God gives grace to the humble. Thank you, Lord. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of, what's it say? Grace. Come boldly to the throne of Grace. That word boldness is confidence, but it literally means unreservedness of speech. Now, listen, boldness does not mean a lack of, of uh, reverence. Boldness is not a lack of reverence. It, it's confidence, but you need to understand that there's a difference between boldness and arrogance. Both of them sound confident. But what arrogance is, is confidence minus the awareness of Jesus. Let me say it again. Arrogance is confidence minus the awareness of Jesus. Or in other words, minus the awareness of his grace and his spirit that helps you and sustains you. Or you think it's all about you. And that's what arrogance is. But boldness is different. Boldness is confidence that comes from the awareness of the help and the grace and the mercy that you receive from Jesus. That's why he says, let's come boldly to the throne of grace. Now he's writing to Hebrew people. And these are people that grew up generation after generation with a fear of the Lord, but more so afraid of him. But what he's writing to them and saying is now this, look, because of what Jesus has done, you don't have to be afraid of him anymore. He's not taking away the reverence. He's not taking away the awe. He's taking away the terror that God's going to do something that hurts you or God's going to kill you or squish you. He said, no, 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 no. Jesus opened the door. You can come in now and you can come boldly. But the only reason you or I or anybody would come boldly before him is if we knew what we were going to find when we got there. He said, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. So you will come boldly to the throne when you find out what's waiting for you at the throne. And what's waiting for you at the throne is not a bucket full of judgment. It's not anger. It's not wrath. It's mercy. That's what's waiting for you at the throne of God. It's mercy. Come to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us. That's where we find our grace. That's where we find our help is at the throne of grace. Now, begin to wrap this up. Let me read this to you from the book of, book of Galatians chapter two. 
familiar passage of, passage of Scripture to you. Verse 20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. Listen to those words. I do not set aside the grace. I like the way the King James Bible says it. I do not frustrate the grace of God. You know, there is nothing, nothing more frustrating than watching somebody else try to do what you're good at. You know what I mean? There is nothing more frustrating than watch somebody fumble around with something that you know how to do and you know how to do very well. I mean, it's like, it's like watching somebody who's never been in the kitchen before and they're trying to make a big meal and here you are a professional cook and you've been a chef for half your life. And man, this is easy to you, right? And you come into that kitchen and you're watching them just throw pots and pans and spilling flour and, and seasoning all over the place and stuff's on fire and it's burning in the oven and they're just at their wits end and, and you just stand there and it's frustrating to you to watch somebody else do what you're, what you're good at, right? But what's even more frustrating is when you come in and say, hey, 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 can I help you? Let me help you. Now, how frustrating would it be if you stood there as a professional, right? Educated, qualified, experienced, you know how to do this. And you said, let me help you. And they looked back at you, right? Covered in flour and, and half on fire themselves. And they look at you and go, no, I got this. That's what pride says. I got this. When quite obviously, you don't got this <laughs> and it's a mess because you've had it. And man, I'm, I'm telling you, it's like watching somebody who gets this bright idea. They're going to go out and, and build this shed in the backyard and they've never built anything in their lives. Right. And they go to, they go to the hardware store. They buy a truck full of lumber and wood and a bucket full of nails. Right. No plan, no experience. And they just back that up. At the, in the backyard and just dump all that in the yard and man, they just go for it. And they're hammering this and trying to make this work and make that fit and about saw their whole hand off. And man, they're just not getting anything done. It's unproductive. And you're standing back there watching them. And you're a professional builder, let's say. Let's say you got all this experience and man, you have built homes and you've built buildings and you've been doing it for decades and you see this poor sucker out there in the backyard just knocking himself out and getting nowhere and you walk up and you say, please, please stop. Please, I'm begging you, stop and let me help you. And you say, I know how to do all this. I can get this done for you. Let, please just let me help you. And you don't even have to pay me. Just you stopping is payment enough. Now, how frustrating would it be if they looked back and said, no, 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 I got this. That's pride. Pride says, I got this. And if they say, I got this, what can you do? 
If they won't put it in your hands, if they won't let you in the kitchen, if they won't let you on the job site because they got this, what can you do? The only thing you can do is walk away frustrated because you were able to help, but they wouldn't let you. Now, does that make more sense now when Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. It's not me who's living. It's Christ in me. And even the life that I live now in the flesh, I'm living by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, he said, I do not set aside the grace. I do not frustrate the grace. See, grace is watching you. Grace is watching you try to make it through this life and work out your own things and make sense of, of relationships and make sense of finances. And, and grace, is, grace is watching us build a church, right? Grace is watching us work night and day to get this place ready. But what a fool I would be if the grace of God came and said, Jeremy, Sarah, I am a professional church builder. Let me help you. What a fool I'd be if I said to God, no, 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 I got this. We can build this ourselves. I, I grew up in a ministry family. I, I got this. Jeremy, you ever done this before? No, 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 but I, I, I got this. That would be a fool, but I am no fool. I know that it takes the grace of God to build this place. I know it takes the grace of God to fill this place. I know it takes the grace of God to, to work miracles in this place, to minister a word that people hear and receive and understand and are changed by it. I would be a fool to stand behind this pulpit and think that I had anything to say to you apart from the grace of God. You want some grace? I do. How do we get it? We humble ourselves. How do we conduct ourselves in the house of God? Well, we do it in humility. There is nothing more frustrating than watching someone struggle to do what you're good at and can do with ease. Whatever it is that's a challenge to you right now, I'll tell you this, grace is good at it. Whatever, is, whatever it is that has seemed impossible to you, grace is good at it. The grace of God is able. The grace of God is able to come alongside you in the person of the Holy Spirit and help you. He's the helper. And that's what grace is. It's your help. It's an increase of strength. It's an increase of favor. It's an increase of ability and power. It's help. And Jesus is saying the same thing to you that he said to his disciples that day. You need help. You need help. So how do you get it? How do you get the help? It's so simple. It's so easy. All you have to do is acknowledge your need for help. That's humility. Humility says, I don't got this. But Jesus, you do. Jesus, you can. How do you get the grace? You acknowledge, I need it. And then you just simply say this, Jesus, I want your help. Help wanted. It's like you got a sign around your neck that says help wanted. There's a sign hanging in the window of your life. Help wanted. That's humility because that's saying I can't do it on my own. You ever wonder why Jesus said it's so hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God? Why would that be hard? 
Well, he, he could be talking about any number of different kinds of people. He could be talking about a rich man, somebody with a lot of money who's not yet born again. And it could be hard for that person because they look at their life and they look around as well. You know, I got all my natural needs met and living in the house I want, driving the car I want, wearing the clothes I want. I got the stuff I've always wanted. What do I need his help for? Jesus said it can be hard to get somebody who is so used to meeting their own need to get them into the kingdom of God. Now you could take a rich person who maybe gave their heart to the Lord and they're born again and that's wonderful. But Jesus could be saying, man, it's hard to get somebody who's got all the natural stuff to go all in for God. Because for the same reason, they look around and say, I don't really need more help. I think I've got everything just the way I want it. The problem there is that you fail to recognize the need to prosper in your spirit and to prosper in your soul and then to prosper in your body materially and financially. I'm not going to be that stubborn guy. I will not be that stubborn person. Don't you be that stubborn man. Don't you be that stubborn woman. And I don't care what I've got or you've got in the bank. Don't ever look to it as your source, your one and only source for help. I don't care if there's Stacks of cash miles high. You look at Jesus and say, you are my help. My help comes from you. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? It comes from you, Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Praise the Lord. You need help. I need help. Do you want it? If you want that help, then just lift up both hands right now and just say, help wanted, Lord. Come on, say it again. Help wanted, Lord. Help wanted. And when you humble yourself, acknowledge the need for the help, tell him that you want the help, guess what's on the way? Help, grace, favor, strength, ability, and power. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the ministry and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we invite the Holy Spirit into our lives and into this church. Lord, we acknowledge today we need your help. We acknowledge today we want your help. And Jesus, we, we agree with you. Without you, we can do nothing. But with you, in you, through you, we can do all things through Christ, the anointing which strengthens us with more of your grace, Lord. There's nothing we cannot do. Father, we thank you for the grace that is required to finish this project. Lord, I know it's, it is nothing but your grace that has brought us this far, and it is nothing but your grace that will carry us all the way through to the finish. We acknowledge, Lord, that it is you, your strength, and your ability working in us to do all that you've called us to do. We give you the praise and the glory for every good thing you've done, every great thing you're doing, and the greater things that are yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we love you so much today. Thank you for tuning in. We believe you got something good out of the word. Be watching your emails all this week. We've got some good news, some big news coming. So make sure you're tuned into it. We want you to be a part of it. Before we leave today, let's say this together out loud like we always do. By his grace, by his help, and by the leadership of his spirit, we will always be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing with the right people 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we love you, and we'll talk again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.